Welcome to the University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance Ecos. Woo! What is up, fam? Boy, do we got crazy one today. He's been in my life for about 10 years. We've gone on our own paths. His name's uh, JP Najem. Man, he's had an incredible story and he is going to inspire you. But I'm going to warn you, there's some, quite a bit of swearing. There's a lot of language. There's a lot of things that we talk about in his life that may offend some people. And I don't want to offend anybody. So if you're easily offended, please don't listen to this episode. We go, there's some pretty detailed talk about the nightlife, about bar life, and all that kind of stuff. So, but that being said, it's very real raw episode it's probably one of the best that we've had it goes a little longer but make sure you go till the end because it's a roller coaster ride we got a lot of action and we could have talked for three hours so anyways as always itunes hit that subscribe button after the episode leave a review leave a five-star rating super important as always to boost this and get this in as many people's lives as possible one person's story could change someone's life. So keep that in mind. When you hit that subscribe button, you're helping build this thing. So strap in, buckle up. This is a crazy ride of an episode. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor. We're going to dive right in. This episode is brought to you by Mike Young, the makeover master. If you feel your business image might be costing you money, influence, power, and respect, then head over to makeovermaster.com to discover what their complete brand makeover experience is all about. Go check it out right now because everyone deserves to look their best. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of University of Adversity. I'm your host, Lance Isios. Super fired up for today's guest. He grew up in one of the worst projects in Ottawa, Canada. Growing up in a very dangerous neighborhood with five siblings and being on welfare. You can only imagine that was never easy. He played football with the hopes of going pro, but unfortunately, due to serious back injury, he was forced to pack it in. That's where his life changed. But it never stopped him, though. He kept pushing forward, pushing his limits where he almost became a cop. But during that pursuit, he discovered his true calling, which was acting. And he was awesome at it, and he was a natural at it. He landed roles in movies such as Captive, Spoken Word, and Co starred produced and wrote 12 Years to Life. He has also landed numerous roles in TV shows, The Handmaid's Tale, Private Eyes, and Taken. Throughout all of this, he managed to run one of the hottest bars in Toronto, where he was forced to overcome some serious inner demons and deal with some real, real scum and some of the worst life-threatening situations in his life. So I have known this guy for a long time, and he is like one of the most charismatic dudes I've ever met. And I'm just so excited to bring him on. JP Najem, welcome to the show, brother. Yo, thank you. Thank you for having me, man. How you doing? Good, man. Good. I um just reading through that, it's crazy because you've had such an adventurous life. And I've known you, just for all you guys listening out there, we, me and JP have known each other for probably about 10 years. And yeah. we met, we've connected, and we've both been on our own paths. And to see where you're at now is amazing, bro. So thank, thank you. you for coming on. I, thank uh, you for inviting me, man. My pleasure. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, bro. You. You're doing some amazing things. And, you know, I mean it when you're probably the most charismatic guy I've ever met. So 
light these kids up, man, with your fire. Let's go back. Tell us your story. Go as far as you want to go and let's kind of fill in the gaps and kind of give us a rundown of where you're growing up and kind of how you got to where you are today. All right. Cool. 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 What an intro. Thank you. Um, well, right to get, to get right to it. I, um, I didn't realize how much of a product of your environment you are until I left the projects and I go back to go visit my mom. And every so often I'll drive back and see where I grew up. And it's terrifying because for me, I never saw it as like, you know, it was like that ghetto. It was that whatever. There was police in the project every day, pretty much. But for me, that was normal. It was criminals everywhere. But for me, that was normal. So it was such a normal life that I grew up in. But only until I left and really realized what I was about, I didn't realize, first of all, how poor we were. On that, I got to thank my mother for, because no matter what, like she was the queen at making, you know, she can make a cheese and bread sandwich, taste like a filet mignon, you know, she put her heart into everything she did. And because of her, I didn't realize truly how poor we were, or until we went over to some friends' places and you saw the toys they had. But anyway, it didn't take me long to find trouble. Yeah. I'm a very curious man, and I love the edge, but... I was very shy. I was a very shy kid. And only God knows what happened to that man. But somewhere along the way, I broke free in high school. And then I started playing football. And I was like the two, three touchdown. I was a tight end. I was a slot back. And I was scoring two, three touchdowns every day. I was a very good player. And I had a coach named Ken Rare, who was an ex-CFL player, who was privately coaching me because he said I was going to be able to go to the pros. I was like one of the, I was a tall guy. I was. Yeah. You're like the rock. You're like the rock for anybody that's listening. He's huge. JP's massive. Like how tall are you, bro? Six, two. Okay. Well, you're like, yeah, you're a beast. So anyways. Yeah. But anyway, so uh, (laughs) so I was coached by him, but every game that we played, people were trying to kill me, trying to kill me, trying to kill me because kill 27 because I was just scoring the touchdowns. Anyway, that was short lived truly. And life has a funny way. You might not think it at the time, but it's got a funny way of veering you onto a different path. But I remember as being a kid, I was so hyper, so hyper. And my mother would always be outside. So my mother, you got to understand, is the biggest part of my life. What she would do is she would teach this hyper kid how to embrace the world. The thing that we can't, like, that we see, but we ignore. The most beautiful part, the thing that we have for free, is the thing that we put the least amount of value on. But my mother taught me the value in, she would always say, JP, if you ever feel like the world is too cold, feel the sun. She say, if you would ever feel like you're all alone in this world, listen to the birds. And if you, if you feel like you can't go on, feel the lift from the wind. Like that's my mother, you know? Yeah. And she would tell me all this stuff and I still, I still hold till this day. But, uh, but anyway, once I got injured playing football, my life took a huge turn. I started getting into drinking a lot and I wasn't doing too much of the hard drugs back in high school. That came into my latter years, but I started drinking and then I started selling drugs, like weed, but I would never do it. I started selling blow as well. I would never do that either. <laughs> and I was also like a delivery driver later on when I was studying. Okay, anyway, I'll tell you about that. So I started selling you know, the, the drugs and uh, I, I sold one gun too. I started getting into arms, which was, a little, was getting a little weird for me. And uh, I blew up 13 cars in my life. So I would do insurance jobs for people. So say you wanted to get rid of your car, you'd come to me, JP, everybody, everyone knew who I was. I'd get it. I'd break the glow ring, make it look like it got stolen. I set it on fire. And uh, I don't want to say too much. I don't want to incriminate myself. But needless to say, I was going in a very weird direction. I got out of all that because I saw the kind of harm it was doing to my, to my family. 
like I got four beautiful sisters and an older brother and they were, you know, they had it hard, right? My parents were very strict on all of them, but I had it easy for some reason, but it was great. It got me to go out to explore, to get in trouble all the time. But I finally found myself, I think, which is great. So I, I, I didn't know what I was doing with my life. And I enrolled in a police program thinking, we'll see what happens. You know, like, I mean, I already got the, I already got a lot of my education from the street. If I wanted to be a cop, I'd be a good cop for sure. Yeah. And I was doing volunteer at the Boys and Girls Club at that time. And I remember going in there, and I'll never forget, I have a letter still at home from this guy named um, Hanny. And he, he wrote me a letter thanking me because I remember when I got there, the people that were in charge of this Boys and Girls Club told me, stay away from these people. They're just, they're lost. And those are the ones I gravitated towards. So from a young age, I, I love people. I've always had a good understanding of people and I love connecting. That's the whole point. I think that's what we're all here for. Yeah. My mother taught me to connect with, with, with life, with earth. And then I use that into now trying to connect with people because we're all alone at the end of the day. We're all insecure. We all have fears. You know, we all have greatness in us, but it just, it takes someone to start hitting those, tell you the right things to get you to believe in all that. But anyway, I gravitated towards the Hanny and, and uh, I remember I helped him as much as I could and he got his report card and okay, I remember him trying to get me to help him do math homework. And this was like grade four math homework, grade five math homework. And I didn't even know how to do it. Like it's pretty wild when you go back to like the, you know, revisiting that old school. But anyway, he, he seemed like he knew what he was doing and I was like, yeah, yeah, you're doing great. You're doing it right. And he showed me his report card when he got his report card that he got like a B in, uh, in math. And it was just like, I was like, okay, so clearly I'm impacting people. You know, and that's what I want to do. I want to help. I'm here to help. I'm here to help. But I got accepted into the police program. And as I was in my first year of my police program, I was, I started working as a delivery driver at this uh, Greek restaurant. And the owner asked me if I wanted to make some extra money on the side. So I said, yeah, sure, whatever. And it was selling Coke. So I'm in my first year of my police program. Most of my clients are in the police program. And, and I was, um, I, I remember I'd always leave my police books on my, not to tell anyone, this is not good. This is, this is the part of my life that, you know, I use for my acting now and to teach people to, to veer away from. But I used to leave my police books on my passenger seat because I would get pulled over quite a bit for whatever reason, you know, uh, I would get pulled over. And luckily for me, because I didn't have insurance, my insurance was expired. You know, like I, I got it. My, my trick was I would get insurance and I wouldn't pay it. And then I would just have the paper. Anyway, so the cop would pull over. He'd see the books. I'd be like, yeah, I'm a police foundation. I'm studying. And then they would let me go. It was incredible. But anyway, I was going through a darker and darker time. My parents got separated and the drinking was getting heavier and heavier. And you got to understand that I've been blacking out since I was 15 years old. I am 34, man. So this whole blackout thing, I don't know if it's an allergy or the fact that, I mean, I got to the point where I was drinking a bottle and a half of hard liquor a night, but I black out. So anyway, I got arrested. A DUI. I didn't have my damn books in the passenger side that night. I'm just joking. I was really drunk. And um, I had a trunk full of fireworks. And I got in a fight with some bouncers in the inside of a club called 426. And they were uh, talking and flirting with my sister. So I got in a fight with them and I went outside. And then I popped the trunk and I started firing off these Roman candles. Like a maniac. Like This is where I was. In both hands. Right? At this club. At these people. People screaming. I'm laughing. Cigarette hanging out of my mouth. Like I was clearly... I was on a very different path in life. But I got arrested. I went to jail that night. And I remember seeing the look on my mother's face. And that changed my life forever. 
forever. Here I was in jail and I was like, what, like, what, what, like, you know, what is going on? Like, what am I doing? Once I sobered up, you know, and so I'm sleeping on this metal sheet that whatever that they, that they have in jail. And the cops kind of beat me up a little bit, those pricks, but anyway, it's okay. But I got out and I saw that look on my mother's face and I said, okay, I got to change. I stopped selling the drugs. I stopped blowing up cars. I just stopped everything. And I was just really depressed and I didn't know what to do because in Ottawa, you got to understand the standard in Ottawa is government. You work for the government. And then like, I could always see the ceiling in Ottawa. I just never felt that ease in Ottawa. So I knew I needed to leave. I just didn't know what or how. And it was a movie called You Mean Dupree that changed my life. Only God knows what I like. That's not even my favorite movie, but it was, I felt something in that theater that day. I felt the anger that uh, Kevin Dillon uh, or Matt Dillon was feeling when, when Dupree, Owen Wilson, was putting him in these weird places. You know, I felt all this stuff that they were putting out there and everyone in the theater did as well. And I started looking around and everyone was laughing. We're all laughing at the same time when Kate Hudson was saying something or whatever it was, but I was like, that's it. I need to connect to people. There it is. So I had a bike. I sold my, I literally left the theater, sold the bike. I had a motorcycle, sold my car all in all with debts that I had, I had maybe about $1,500 and, um, and a credit card that was pretty much used up. I had $1,200 on my credit card and I think I had $1,500 cash actually. And I was like, that's it. I'm, I'm going to become an actor. It hit me, but I didn't know where to start. I didn't know what I had to do. All I knew was that I had, I, I didn't know what, I didn't know where, I didn't know who, I just knew I had to do this thing. So I started putting it out in the universe and this was the early signs of what you put out, you get back. And before I left, my mom told me, uh, JP, just know that a heart full of faith will get you a lot further than a pocket full of cash. And that's something that I carry with me till this day. Whether you have belief, it's just belief, just believe. Even if you don't believe in a God or whatever it is, just believe in even yourself. Just know that if you truly want something bad enough, you will get it, whether it's good or bad. You know, what you put out is what you get back in. So I heard about all these people going to Alberta. And I was like, oh, Alberta, this sounds awesome. You know what I mean? I'll go out to Alberta. I'll strike it rich in the oil field where you're from. I went to your hometown. I was in Edmonton, right? It's Edmonton, right? Yeah, yeah. I grew up there, yeah. There you go. Okay. So I went to Edmonton, which they called Edmonton, I guess, at the time. Yeah. But when I got... Yeah. Yeah, right? So I got there in 2005. Now, mind you, I believe in leaping. And I have this thing where I don't look where I leap. I just jump. And I just know that something good will come out of it. You may call it being naive, being blind, whatever it is, but I just go for things. So I just moved out to Edmonton and it was the slowest year in 20 years. Now I didn't do my research, right? Mm. So I was stuck there. And after three weeks, I was dead broke in Edmonton and I didn't know what to do with myself. And I did, and I called my mom and I was like, mom, I, by the way, I went shopping my first day there. Who am I trying to impress on this oil rig? Like, yeah. I grew up with sisters. You could tell. The first thing I wanted to do was to get close, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't know. But anyway, I ended up calling my mom and I was like, mom, I don't know what to do. I I'm broke. I'm, I'm dead broke. She's like, oh my God, you're so brave. You made it three weeks. Now come back home. Lance, when she said that, <laughs> it hit me. No, it hit me. I was like, if I go back home, I was so sure that I was going to make something of myself. Now, if I go back home after being beaten, I will... It's like basically a dog with its tail between its legs. I would not have the courage or confidence to do anything ever again. Right. Man, I had this slight feeling, this goosebumps. I'm refeeling them now. Yeah. And I told my mom, I'm like, mom, thank you so much. You changed my life. 
forever. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm not coming home. I swear to God that night, I heard of a friend named Sadie who was in Grand Prairie that was working out there. And I got in touch with him. He got me a Greyhound ticket. I went to Grand Prairie, started working. I was a swamper making $22 an hour. The drivers were making $40 an hour. I didn't understand it because I was doing all the work. And these guys were literally smoking crack inside these big rigs in mountains that had avalanche warnings. I was like, is this worth it? Is acting really worth it? I was like, yes, it is. I started stealing the trucks every night and I started teaching myself how to drive a big rig. Now I only knew how to get to like the sixth gear because I drive standard, but they have splitters and they have highs and lows. So I started convincing the crackheads, well, the drivers who you know, just, just like the, the rock a little bit too much to help me learn how to drive this so I can get my license. And everyone was telling me, no, you can't do it. It's going to take you years. It's took, taken us years. Two and a half months later, I had my license. I got my license. So basically, I, I break every rule. And when I was younger, I was breaking the law as well, which is not good. But my mom also taught me there are no rules. And I know that much. People remember the people that break rules, not the ones that stay, you know, those are the ones that are remembered forever. The ones that just take things into their own hands and do what they want. So I became a trucker. I was in Alberta for about two years, miserable making about 10000 a month and spending it pretty much as much as I was making it, you know. And uh, April 1st, 2007 came along, and then that's when I moved to Vancouver. I said, you know what? Mm-hmm. I meant to, that's it. This is enough for me. I'll, I'm not saving money. I'm just wasting time in Alberta. But then again, it's never a waste of time. Yeah, Look at the experience. I got a Class 3.6 here, they call it out here. Out there, I forgot what it's called now. But, oh, no, it's a Class 3.6 out there. Here, it's called an, an M license and whatever. But um, I could operate a big rig. So, and I could use that. And in life, there are no mistakes. There are things that you learn from, things that you move away from, or things that you stay in. But it's all a lesson learned and research for me as an actor. Everything I do is research. So that gives me carte blanche to fuck up as much as I want. I'm sorry to swear. No, I swear. You, I swear. I don't care. I've been holding it back, but it's okay. But, <laughs> I, you know, I, but when you fuck up in life, and I'm going to get back to where I was getting about the Vancouver thing, but you are not living. Truly, genuinely, if you're not screwing up in life somehow, some way. And I wrote this on my wall that I'm going to fail my way to success because in failure, there is always success, but there is a difference. When I was drinking and partying every night, my club days, which I'll get to, that was not a good failure. I was stuck. That was being stuck in a uh, vicious cycle. And that's the difference. So you got to really understand the difference, right? But for me, going out, trying something and and not, and it, it doesn't work out. So be it. It's a story to tell. Dude, I got some stories to tell you. Maybe I, maybe not when we're on this about Alberta. It was nuts. Yeah, I, I heard that place was crazy, man. I heard it's just like everybody would just make a ton of money and then just snort it all up their nose. Yeah, thank God I wasn't do, doing blow back then too, man. Yeah, Jeez. that's – it's. I, yeah, I know. Man, I wanted to talk about quickly before we continue about, about failure and what you, what, you, what you said there. And it's just so yeah. important because – People's perspective of failure, yeah. some, some have like a bad perspective of it. And it's not because everything is just a lesson, you know? Oh, yeah. Fail, oh, yeah. failure, there's no such thing as failure unless you decide to completely quit and do something completely different direction. But even then, it's still a lesson. Like the yeah. word failure and the persona that it gives people, it makes you feel like what you're doing is a shitty move. Like it's not... Like it's not a good idea. Like it was a waste, but it's never, that's never the case. Failing is no. a lot of, because you don't know what you're good at. And we get such a, so many people at a young age, they force us into this box. They're like, you need to do this by this, by this. So they set these expectations so that when 
if we don't do that, then anything else outside of that feels like a failure, which is bullshit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we can understand, we can both relate to this where being like, ex, like, you know, we played sports and whatever it is. And we go to the gym. How yeah. do you grow? How do your muscles grow? Lance? Exactly. By failing, exactly. by failing, by going to rep until you can't go anymore. Totally. How do you, how do you break through a breakthrough in life by not staying not conforming? Cause then yeah. that, that, that is, and there's a difference between giving up and failing as well. Totally. Failing is trying to do something yeah. and not getting, you know, the, uh, the result that you, that you wanted. That's fine. Yeah. But I'm, um, Hey, I'm going to work out today. I'm going to lift the dumbbells and I'm not even going to bother doing it. I'm just going to put them down. That's giving up. There's a yeah. huge difference. And it's a perspective on what you're doing too, because sometimes you may think what's happening isn't serving you to your goal, but it may be, it's actually a gift and not everything is linear, right? Other things are all around. And if you realize like, Hey, this is where I want to go. But like, the day-to-day things, like if some things don't work out exactly, then it's just growth. It's just learning, right? And I agree with you. And what I've learned is that when things don't really work out, it's for a beautiful reason. Yeah. And so don't be discouraged. Just be like, okay, it, we just got to learn how to properly now edit our thoughts is all. Because look, we're all taught to be these confident, believe people, but we're not taught how to become this confident. We're just taught to be confident. So how can you be confident if you don't know how to actually truly believe that you are on the inside? It's one thing to put it on for show, but it's another thing to actually exude it, right? Yeah. So fear, you're right, is so many, and that's a big thing actually, and I love fear because that's a big topic that, that a lot of people, look man, at the end of the day, the only thing that you can ever do wrong in life is to not try. Then that's wrong. And I would much rather be on my deathbed with one million I'm sorry's than one regret. I'm going to try. I'm going to fuck up. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to live in my selfish way to better myself so that I can better humans. And selfish is another thing that people that has a bad rap. There's nothing wrong with being selfish. Being selfish means that you care about yourself and you respect yourself. When I was at my least selfish in life, when I was accommodating to people that mean nothing to me that I still, that I don't talk to this day that are just disappeared because they were all drinkers and partiers and people that just wasted my fucking time. When you are selfish, it means that you have a respect for yourself. I wake up in the morning and I dedicate time to myself. I do what I want to do to make myself happy because when I'm happy, the world is happy. You understand? So imagine if everybody in the world thought that way, when I'm happy, the world is happy Then bullying would stop. And then all this stuff would stop. And then, it would change so many things, but, but fear is the most beautiful thing in the world to be motivated by fear in a good sense. Like it's good. You could turn anything into a positive man and people are just taught the wrong things. So look, Lance, I stand in front of you, a guy that did an audition 11 years ago. I've, I've been acting for 11 years, minus the three years of blackoutness, well, minus the three years of research, but I was still somewhat acting. But I've been doing it for 11 years. My first audition, I couldn't even say one word in the audition room. I was so frozen by fear. Fast forward to now, I just had an audition that was 12 pages that I memorized it within like an hour and now I'm on it. So it just goes to show you that, and it didn't take me 11 years to get there, by the way. That was after my first year of practicing and doing classes and everything. But fear is great. Failure is great because that means that you're actually trying, giving up is the thing that we should avoid and stay away from. Yeah. And that's what I, when I was at Tony Robbins as well, he was talking about fear and this was powerful because he's like, you don't face your fears. You dance with fears. That's it. And you nailed it. You're like, it's, it's fine. It should be like, let's dance fear. Let's go. Where are you taking me here? 
because I ain't going to, I'm not going to run away from you. I'm going to dance with you and we're going to get something out of this. Right. And when you, when you frame it like that, because think about it, if everything was fucking easy, if everything was just like, you know, roses and there was nothing and every, everybody was doing everything, there'd be no challenges. There'd be no growth. And you know, you you wouldn't be able to understand what success is if you didn't, you know, make a couple of mistakes along the way. And if you had, didn't have to like face this, these like inner things that may be feeling like a pushback, but you face them and dance with them and you actually get somewhere. You actually feel the rewards from it. What's very important, which is what I'm, I'm in my phase in life called back to basics. So basically what I've done is I've been sober for two months now, you know, and, and I've started, I started to, um, to do things that I used to do in 2008 when I was this, when you, when I met you at yeah. Earl's, when I was a super driven actor that would not drink, that would not do nothing. I was focused. Right. Yeah. And going back to basics is something I'll touch on too, because it's the most beautiful thing you can do. And I'll explain why. But do you remember, it's like when that first time that you went up and you, and you, and you jumped off that diving board, that fear that you had in your gut, how scary it was, how you thought that you were going to die and you can never do it. And then you did it. And then right away, you pretty much swam out of the pool, ran back up on that diving board and did it again and did it again. So the excitement of being in that fear is what makes this life worth living because this life isn't easy. And I always saw myself as like this blank canvas that's wandering around life and life is painting you, but life doesn't use a brush. It uses its fist. Life pummels you with this color on your canvas, Lance. And we're all these beautiful canvases, but we just got to get out of our own heads and realize that the only way that we're going to actually be alive, that this is all a game. It's just all a test. And for us to truly be outside of ourselves and know that if we fear something, go towards it. I mean, and again, like, don't run across a highway. That's not normal. But I mean, like, I want to challenge myself today. I'm afraid to do it. So I'm going to do it. There's no, like, that's when you're truly at the most alive. Yeah. So what made you think that acting was your thing? You know, because obviously, you know, police, all this stuff is a lot different. It's funny how similar our paths were as far as like, I wrote my police exam too. And we were both in the bars and we were both got up to shenanigans. You know, I was going to be acting, but then I just was too hungover all the time. I never ended up following it through. And then I moved, but what was it about acting? Like, is it, what did it really, did you get like a high from like when you did an audition or when you, I'm guessing that, that really that feeling you just all of a sudden were like, boom, like, this is it. Like, tell us about that feeling. Okay. Well, I, I tell you, my, like the first audition that I had, like I said, I didn't even say one word in the audition. It's with Stuart Aikens in Vancouver. I'll never forget it. And uh, it was for a show called Altitude or something like that. But for the life of me, I couldn't mutter one word. That's how scared I was. But the fact that I still wanted to do it meant that, okay, you know, there's something to this thing. Yeah. Because I was that scared of it, Lance. And in my mind, if I'm afraid of something, I'm going to face it. Like, like, let's not forget, like, I grew up in a very dangerous neighborhood, so I love dangerous. And not only that, I love being uncomfortable. My whole life has been built on being in an uncomfort zone. So now, when I'm in a comfortable place, it, that truly scares the shit out of me. And I don't like it. I'd rather be un, in, in an uncomfortable place, right? But acting, so when I booked my first role, it was on Smallville. I wrote it down. This was before The Secret and all that stuff. My room was filled with stuff that I would write down all the time because I'm also a writer, right? I would write poetry and I write my mother a letter every year, except for those three years of being a blackout mess because I was a blackout mess. But I write her a letter every year. I, there's, something, there's something I believe that's beautiful and that's missed about writing people letters, packaging it and mailing it out because that's not done anymore. And I love that. So I still do it till this day. But um, 
so I would write these quotes down. I'd write these things down. I said, in, I remember, September 23rd, 2008, right? Because my birthday is September 23rd. I will book my first big role on Smallville. I swear to God, Lance, in November of 2008, I booked Smallville. Okay. And I used to watch this show with my sisters in Ottawa. Wow. And we used to watch Tom Welling and my sisters were in love with this dude. Who did I act with? With Tom Welling. Wow. You know? He is handsome, but it was like, okay, okay. Like there's something to this. So my fa- first of all, my family all thought I was crazy by the way, for becoming an actor. And I kind of thought I was crazy too, because I was very shy. I hated drama class in high school. And, um, I never thought of acting. I never did. I never, I never in my life thought of acting. I thought I was going to be an athlete and that's it or a big time kingpin or something. But it was, I can't explain it, but it was a feeling in my, oh, it was the gut. So here's something I got to tell you. You know, when you say that you're, that love is blind, it is because your heart to me is this big thing of fire and power. And when your heart is, is in something, that's passion, but passion, it goes like a forest fire. So until your mind is clear, you can narrow down and focus you know, that passion into something and stream it like a laser. So I believe the mind and the heart work together, but the gut is one of the most important things that we ignore. Your gut feeling, that feeling on the inside, that whisper that says, or that feeling that kind of notches you to go to this way or pushes you, nudges you to go to, you know, a certain way. And for me, when I was in that movie theater, there was something in my being, I can never explain it in my heart that I felt that I need to be there. And I listened to it and I I pursued it. So how do you decipher for the people, you guys listening out there, you're probably wondering too, like, how do you know when it's your gut or when it's your head talking? Because, you know, what's, how do you decipher? How have you, tell me how you can, in your life, how you can, I mean, obviously not drinking and that kind of stuff makes it easier because it's less emotional response, right? When you're hungover, everything is just harder and you don't really know. But how do you, how do you do that? How does somebody know? Yeah. So, and also when you're hungover, it's because you have no clarity and clarity Purpose, clarity are the most important things in the world as well. And I'm going to get to those points after. But so what I did was I was still drinking and partying at that time. This was in Ottawa. This was in 2005 is when I decided I wanted to become an actor in 2008. So I started taking my first class, but it was in 2005 I decided. But what happened was I, uh, your mind will play tricks on you. That's what your mind is there for. Your mind is there to protect you and to also keep you afraid because deep down inside your mind is constantly trying to make, it's a survival mode, survival mode, survival mode. So that's why I don't like smoking weed that much because I'm, I'm in a state of paranoia and fear when I smoke weed because I feel that naturally that's my being, right? So you got you to gotta learn how to calm your mind. And this is coming from a guy that's got the most active mind, I think. My mind is insanely active. But what happens is it's an undeniable feeling. But what you need is you need months prior to that moment in the movie theater, I was asking God and I was praying and I was just asking life to please help guide me because I was so lost. That's what it was. I got to say, when you ask whether it's God, the universe, you know, or any one of the other prophets or whatever it may be, if you just ask something, even ask yourself, if you ask, just put it out there. I swear to God, you will get results. It's that simple. But what you need to do is you need to quiet your mind because your mind is so loud. And how can you truly hear what's meant to be heard? If you constantly have music blasting 24 hours a day, you can't. So in your mind, you have to learn how to be uh, still in certain moments. And in a movie theater, for me, that was a good place to be still because I was just out of my mind now and I was just watching these people. But it came from asking, Lance, from asking. And also, 
the more you practice this, the stronger it gets. Like my mother taught me at a young age to constantly be asking, praying and asking the world and, and all this stuff, right? So I was taught it at a very young age. It's so beautiful, man. Like, and the more you do it, the stronger it gets, the quieter your mind gets. Now your mind's always going to be loud. Do you think at least 50 thoughts a, a day? You know, some people say more, nobody says less. It's 50 to 80,000 thoughts a day, right? So imagine how clustered your mind crazy, is. That's crazy, man. That's crazy when you think about it. And you know what's even crazier, Lance? Let me tell you something that's even crazier than that. Is that I clean my apartment. I live in a cute little seven, 800 square foot downtown apartment here in Toronto. I clean this place once a week and I'm the only one here. One, that's two foot, that's two feet, you know? Every day walking around here doing my thing and I clean it once a week. In your mind, you got at least 50,000 thoughts. So if you put that in perspective, imagine 50,000 people in your home on a daily basis. How often would you have to clean your house? Yet, nobody does it. We clean our apartments, we clean ourselves, but yet we don't put that same energy into editing and cleaning our minds. And that's something that you got to do on a daily basis. And it starts from gratitude. Now, I've been grateful every day as well. So I tell you, now we're in our next point. And the reason why I feel that I, I, uh, I'm getting pumped up again, man. And the reason Woo! you know, oh! <laughs> gratitude, Lance, gratitude, gratitude. I was grateful. Listen, I'm the most insecure guy, insecure guy you'll ever meet. I'm the least confident guy you'll ever meet. I'm the most fearful guy you'll ever meet. I don't believe that a second. You know, but let me tell you, I, I have that all in me. So anyone that's listening that's got that same feeling, there is nothing wrong with that. Now, what makes a confident person is not someone that, I mean, you could just say, you know, I am confident, and then eventually you will be confident, but that's putting a Band-Aid on it. The best way to truly be confident is to accept your flaws. So I accepted a long time ago, I'm not the best looking guy. I don't got the best body. I don't have this. I make the dumbest decisions, but I love who I am. So that, that becomes a gratitude. I'm grateful every day. I'm able to walk. I got legs. I can talk. I, I got my limbs. How many blackout nights I've had and I still came home, maybe with bloody knuckles or in handcuffs, but I still came home. So you got to practice being grateful. And, and then that's, so it's not just one thing that can make this inner thought become like your gut feeling, which you've got to nurture. Now they're, they're relating gut to, to depression, which they've been doing for years, but it's so true. Your gut is your, is your second mind or is your mind. But you got to give yourself and have respect for yourself enough to be a better person every day if you can. Now, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite, but because I was lost for those years of drinking and partying. But now that I'm, but that was never who I was. Was it a loss or was it a lesson, right? Because then this is the thing is I, I can relate to you, bro, because I went through the same thing. And if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now and tell the story and have the perspective. It's a Fair gift. enough. You're right. You're so right. You're you know so right. I mean? it's like, yeah, you're so right. And I say a loss because it still hurts me that much. Oh, of course. Uh, uh, and it's not a loss. You're right. It was such a beautiful lesson. It was a lesson learned. It wasn't a beautiful lesson. It was no, an ugly lesson learned, hard, man. But it's hard feeling. In the, it's feeling. Yeah. It's hard feeling rock bottom, bro. It's it's hard, yeah. man. And that feeling when you're like, man, you're laying there and you're in bed and you're like, holy fuck, like what did I just do? And the anxiety and the sweat pouring down your your bed. You can't sleep. You like, man, just thinking about that. Yeah, man, yeah. it's crazy. And then when you, yeah. you know, to have that perspective to go back in and, and to face that, feel that feeling to never want to go there again. That's how you get yeah. out of that shit. You're so, you're so right. You're so right. It was just a very ugly part. So my agent recently talked to me and she said, JP, what happened? Like you lost your edge. Where did it go? You're acting and whatever. And it's because I wasn't practicing. It's all the partying and the drugs. It was just, my mind was in a constant foggy state. Right. Yeah. But so what I realized was that I never lost my edge. I was just lost in my edge. 
And my edge was always the dangerous part of life. And so I got lost in that part. I played this role, and now we're getting into this nightclub thing where I was running the hottest nightclub in the city. It was a, I just moved here. I signed with the biggest agent in pretty much Canada, Penny Noble. She's massive. And she, uh, she signed me. And I had this confidence and this, the same thing I had when I moved from Vancouver, when I moved to Vancouver. I had this purpose. And I lost my purpose, and that's when I lost my life, which we'll go to another point in a second. But so I moved here, and I signed with Penny, and I was trying to find a job. And I went up to the biggest guy in Toronto. He's the CEO. The guy's worth about $100 million now or something. But when I came here, I read an article about him saying he was the king of entertainment. So I got a job at this place that I knew he went to. And as soon as he walked in, on my first night there, as soon as he walked in, I went right up to him and said, my name is Jean-Paul Najem. I'm going to run one of your clubs one day. And he looked at me like, who is this guy? He's like, do you know I have 1,500 employees? I'm like, yeah, but not one of them is like me, right? So every time he had an answer, I had something back. And he was like, well, what kind of experience do you have in the bar industry? I'm like, I've been working in bars, you know, in Vancouver, bar none and all that stuff. I was working in the clubs out there. I have about five years of bar experience, but I got over 20 years of people experience. And I believe that you need to know people, not so much. You can teach anyone to know a drink, but you can't teach anyone to understand people at like a chemical level or whatever, which now I believe he can. It just takes a lot of time. So anyway, he hired me on the spot, right? He gave me, he's like, here's my email. Here's my email address. Here's my number. Here's my everything. He gave me this information. Sorry. He gave me this information. He left. He's all smiling. He remembered my name. Now these people came up to me and said, how do you know? And I was like, "Uh, I just met him. They're like, wow, I've worked here for over two years. He doesn't even know my name. I'm like, yeah, but whose fault is that? This guy's got 1500 employees. I used his own line. But the truth is most people are afraid to do things and then that's why they remain in this place of conformity. They don't move. They're dead. They're dead. They don't even know it. Because for some he's a human being. He bleeds just like you do. Why would you be so afraid to talk to this man or this woman or whatever it is? So I ended up getting a job at this place. He saw me there. And then I ended up, uh, I was at maitre d'. They asked me if I could be a maitre d'. I said, yeah, absolutely. I can maitre d' my sleep. I didn't even know what the fuck a maitre d' was. (laughs) So I basically got paid to go around and talk to everybody. Just talk to people. I'm like, oh, perfect. I can talk, man. Like, I got yeah. this. And so I ended up letting in these women one day. And this goes to show you that, that, that gut feeling again. Or when you, when you feel like you, need to, you should do something, do it. If you're driving down the highway for some reason, you're just curious, you just, you just, something's telling you to turn off the highway, get off it. If something's telling you to take a different route, take that different route. Because you don't know. That's your gut. That's your intuition. Start growing your intuition. So I helped these ladies. They weren't, the bouncer was being a, a dick to them. He wouldn't let them in. By the way, I worked at the busiest restaurant in Toronto in 2012. The place had lineups seven nights a week. It was insane. I was cashing out $20,000, $40,000 a night in a restaurant land. Wow. You know, imagine this place was, so I, I got like, what is it that brings me to these hotspots? It's not my knowledge of places because I never do the work. I don't do the research. Now I do my acting. But when it comes to jobs, I don't like sit down and like research stuff. All I did was I looked at the hottest clubs in Toronto. That's all I did. I said, I'm going to find this guy. And they talked about, and in that, I guess I did do research. Oh, wait a second. I guess I did. But I just, I don't do that much. I I believe just maybe having a stepping stone and just jumping off it and just seeing. I get what you mean, bro. Like you knew, obviously you you knew the name, but then that's it, right? Like that's it. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. That's it. That's it. A lot of people are scared shit. Let's do that kind of stuff. And it's like, you're just yeah. like, here's the name. I'm going to find this guy. That's it. I don't it. be, don't be. Or and it's important to do research actually. Like, I guess maybe because of Alberta, I think I, I learned the, the value of research, but even then I survived, man, I'm still standing here. Yeah. So, but what I did was I, I looked up clubs in Toronto and then the name was all over the place. And then I said, that's the guy. And he's fine. Yeah, go ahead. 
No, yeah, no, I, um, so yeah, crazy. I want to get into like what it's like. So a lot of people, you know, I've talked about working in bars and stuff in Australia and the craziness and, yeah. but I don't really go, I haven't really gone into detail and I don't, I really, okay. I know yours, there's not a lot of people that have like, kind of like one up to me in that area. Well, some have, but like, I, you know, I lived a pretty crazy life in Australia and, and in Vancouver, but for you, yeah. I think you one up to me in that regard. Which is when you tell me, when we were sitting down the other day, I'm like, man, I cannot wait to fucking unleash about this. Tell us about okay. these restaurants then in these nightclubs and kind of like what it was like and like your plan that you had with illustrating it and telling the story. So I, I got hired to work at this nightclub, right? That was the restaurant. And the, my gut intuition thing, I, had, I let these women in. And the bouncer was mad at me. I was like, yo, listen, don't be rude. Like they're dressed beautifully. Let them in. They're older women, right? Oh, they're like, they were like in their 40s, but they were beautiful. They were lovely. They, they asked to buy me a drink, got a drink, I left. Turns out that one of them best friends. Oh, wow. Right? And he gave me the information of his, of his director of operations. And I would email this guy 10 times a day who would never email me back once because they don't hire guy bartenders in nightclubs here. At the end, saw me there and he waved me over and he's like, do you know this woman? I'm like, no, I just met her, you know, I, like I, whatever it was. And uh, she's like, she, she told me that because um, they, they were talking about me and he's like, oh yeah, this guy said he wants to work on my clubs. And she told him, you'd be crazy not to hire this guy because he's the best customer service I've ever had in my life. You know, so that's how I ended up getting hired at the club. Anyway, so I get into the club. I'm the only guy bartender there, surrounded by beautiful women in Toronto and Vancouver. You know, there's beautiful women everywhere. But the point is, I was the only guy that was bartending in this nightclub. This nightclub was massive. So it fits about, on paper, uh, 1,350 people fit in this nightclub. But we would pack it into 3,000 a night. The place was a sauna. It was packed. I've never seen a club so big. It was like a $5 million club. And now they got a $25 million one. But uh, it was a $5 million club. Anyway, I walk in. I was mesmerized. I was in heaven. So here I am, an actor. I'm booking roles in Toronto, by the way. I booked two. I booked with two of the biggest casting directors at that time. So I was on fire. So I was like, my head got too big and I got humbled. I got humbled. I got humbled. But I started bartending and I started, you know, making some decent money up to upwards of $1,400 a night bartending at this nightclub land. I was getting hand jobs behind the bar. I was having girls come behind the bar. Literally, <laughs> literally put my hands down my pants. Okay. I kid you not. My bar back has got stories for life too, because of what he saw. I had a lineup of girls that I was making out with on a nightly basis. Like I was just this, like, I don't know what happened. The demon took over. I was drinking. I was partying. My bartender and I would lean down and start doing blasting Hershey kisses. I called them big ass cocaine, like on keys. They looked like a Hershey kiss. Back in these big bumps. And then I take a break. So I started finding out about these secret rooms. And every club's got like these little hidden rooms. So, so what happened was I would leave the bar. And then these girls, like, you know, a couple of girls would follow me. Or I'd bump into one or whatever. There's thousands of people. You're bound to bump into, you know, a few along the way. And I would take them into the storage room. You know, a quick little, you know, have a little fun in the storage room. And I'd go back up to bartending. And I was like, this is the life of like a king. I was blinded by all this shit. But anyway, at the time it was incredible and it still is kind of incredible. I got promoted to be a manager somehow, some way. I don't know how they promoted me. I guess they saw like my sales were always amazing. You know, I always had lineups at my bar because I was always talking to people, right? A lot of these bartenders had the big fake tits, had all that stuff. And uh, they wouldn't really talk to people. They weren't sociable. I was like, you know what I mean? Getting people to lie down on my bar. I was pouring shots down guys' throats, girls' throats. It didn't matter. So I had lineups on my bar. It's like, we need this guy to be a manager. So I started managing the nightclub. My first night, my first night managing this nightclub, I was in the beer fridge 
with a bag of cocaine with four uniformed cops doing the biggest baby arms you would ever see in your life. Oh my God. Taking shots of Hennessy with these cops and myself and then putting a case of st- smoking cigarettes. We were smoking cigarettes inside the beer fridge. We're all talking. A few more shots, a few more rails. I put a, a bunch of Apple Jacks, so it's apple juices, and I emptied out half of it, and I filled the rest with Jack Daniels. So I had about 12 bottles of Jack Daniels I poured inside these little things for the cops. We'd go inside, and I put a, a case of Stella inside a garbage bag. I'd wrap it. I'd give these guys the Apple Jacks. I'd carry up the garbage bag. I'd put the case of Stella inside the back of the cop van. It was a cop van. I was inside the cop van with these four cops who were all drinking Apple Jacks. I was doing bumps, but they told me, don't do bumps in front of the camera, be careful, but do behind the seat. So I'm doing a bump, I'm smoking cigarettes, and I'm in this cop van. This is about a year into being in Toronto, and I'm watching all these people come into this, my nightclub, and they're all kind of paranoid with the cops, when here we are all finished doing rails, we're drinking, we're smoking cigarettes. I was like, holy shit, Toronto is an other beast, man. Wow. Fast forward now to every night, Lance, two, three three girls a night. Before I would even leave the club, I would take girls into the beer fridge or I would take girls into our staff room or the stairwell, which was usually occupied by my security. So I gave my security guards the stairwells. They would sleep with fucking 10 girls there a night. And I would go into like different rooms, different storage rooms. And one day, actually, one of the funniest ones, I had these two girls come into a storage room with me. I told them, hey, I want to show you a nice little room. They were lovely ladies. What happened was they called that day. And I, I answer the phones like, like nobody else. I'm like, yo, what's up? You know, tell me something about life is when I answer union nightclub, talk to me, whatever, whatever. So I find out these girls, like uh, their signs their horoscope signs, they're this or that. One of them was a, a Capricorn, which my ex-girlfriend was. And I don't like Capricorns, but I kind of do now. And the other one was a Scorpio. And anyway, they came into the club. I told them to ask for me. They asked for me. I brought them both into the storage room and I had a threesome with them in the storage room. Right. So as it's going on, and this, by the way, is second nature to me now. I had more threesomes than I could even possibly imagine. It's just, it just got too easy. I started kind of upping it to one more, to one more girl, to one more girl. I got fucking out of control, Lance. But so I'm in this storage room with these two girls, Capricorn and Scorpio, we'll say. And we're fucking around. We're banging. We're doing whatever. And then all of a sudden, I see somebody inside the, the storage room, but on the other side, in the bathroom. And he's like, JP, is that you? And it's this guy, Eddie. He's a big time something. And he's smoking a cigarette, just watching me. He's like, who are those girls? I'm like, yo, Eddie, what are you doing? And I'm still doing my thing with these girls. I'm like, what the hell's going on? And nobody really cared. And I'm talking to Eddie. All I see is the cherry kind of light up in his cigarette and back down. And I can see the outline of his face. And um, then these girls left and I joined him. And he's like, yo, dude, like, you know, whatever. Anyway, stuff like that would happen all the time. And so big time drug dealers in this club would end up giving the bathroom attendants like a hundred bucks right from the get-go. And bathroom attendants have a storage room. They're gangsters. They're smart. You got to pay certain things in clubs. You got to understand. I've seen so many things now in clubs that I get it. You give the bathroom attendant a hundred bucks, flip him a nice brownie, and then he'll start letting you into his storage room. And then that's where you can smoke cigarettes. You can do your drugs. You can smoke weed. You do whatever. So stuff like that was happening. The ins and outs of the nightclubs was insane. So here I was counting hundreds of thousands of dollars a night, a mountain of money on this table filled with women that were awesome. We're all in the office smoking, drinking, you know, every night doing my cash outs. But it got to a point where that life, you know, and that's, that's like, what else can I tell you, man? Oh my God, people died. Hey, there's not so much glamorous side of that nightclub. There's people that died in the nightclub, Lance. Okay, here's a crazy one. Oh, and by the way, I wrote all these episodes out. So I wrote, I'm writing a TV show right now. I'm almost done. It's called Void. 
and the nightclub is called Void. And every episode, listen, I got stories for 10 years. So every episode is a different view of a different worker that works in the club, the bartender, the, uh, the bottle service girl, the bathroom attendant, and what they go through on a daily basis and the people that are even getting ready to go out to the club. But anyway, there's this guy that came in from some place in, in Saskatchewan. By himself, he comes to the club. He bumps into the wrong person, these pimps from Nova Scotia, and gets stabbed three, four, five times, jail style. This guy starts stumbling to his booth, and then as he, uh, as he lies in his booth, these guys that were around him were like looking at him, and they're like, hey, and he started shaking him and kind of jumping on him because they thought he was just drunk and lying down in his booth, but they were having fun with him. This guy was bleeding out for three minutes, man. So I remember seeing this video, and it brought chills down my spine. And that's the ugly truth about the nightclubs. How many times people have been bottled in the nightclubs? and dying, how many fights we all got into. We were getting to fights every night too, by the way. Throughout the threesomes and the blasting rails and smoking cigarettes and drinking in the beer fridge parties and with the cops and with a lot of higher end suits in the city, we were fighting every night too. Wow. So it was like, how many times, you know, yeah. Yeah, so I did that for three years, man, for three years. And then- Where, okay, with that, that's- <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Uh, <laughs> Well, you know what? Like, I mean, that's, the, that's what it is. That's what it is, man. Like, so obviously you had to learn some lessons from there, right? Oh, did I ever, yeah. Where, when did, were you like, okay, shit, things need to change. And from there to now, you know, how different is things for you? And okay. what did you take, what did you take away from that? And okay. really, you know, all the glamour and all that, maybe paint a picture on what it actually is and, why it probably didn't serve you anymore. So here's what it is. I got to a place in my life where I took 25 Percocets in the span of four hours, drank a bottle of Belvedere, 50% alcohol. This was uh, 50%, it was the Belvedere Intense. I drank a bottle of Belvedere Intense and I was in my room and everything went quiet. Everything went quiet, Lance. Never in my life have I ever had everything go quiet. It scared the shit out of me. My heart started beating at the low. I've never felt my heart beat so low. And it felt like it was so distant, even though it was in my chest. The scariest feeling. And then I remember I had this Purell. I call it this pure cocaine next to me, as pure as it can get. And I did a bunch of lines to get me back elevated because I felt that I was going to die that night. I felt that I was the closest to death. Now, I messaged my mom saying, hey, I just got home from work. I love you so much. I'll call you tomorrow because I was certain I wasn't going to wake up. But what I did was I forced myself to stay awake. But there was that. And then there was also me doing 10 caps of G, of GHB. Now, a normal human being needs a cap, maybe two. I did 10 in a sitting as I was Skyping this girl from Vancouver, and I passed out on the keyboard. I got up, got, went naked. I was profusely sweating in the shower. The shower wasn't on. My, my roommate at the time comes into the, the shower and walks me to the bed and starts watching me. And he says that like I, like I get to the bed and I jump flip or something, land on the bed. And then I start like freaking out a little bit, but I was geeing out. So I had 10 caps. Like I could have died with the GHB and then doing eight balls a night and do all this stuff. But what, what really hit me was I reactivated my sciatica and my back injury. And I gained 60 pounds throughout this three years. So I was 260, 265. I was bloated like a motherfucker. And I was walking around with a cane. And my mom was at this hairdresser uh, conference in Toronto and I invited her and her friends to come to the club and her 28 year old son at the time or 20, what was I? 29, maybe 30, 30 years old, 30 year old son at the time greeted her at the door walking with a cane. That's how 
And she looked at me and she's like, JP, are you okay? I was like, yeah, yeah. She's like, what happened to you? Cause she, she didn't see me for like for about a year and a half. And in that last year and a half, it got pretty bad. And, uh, she's like, why is my son walking in a cane and he's young still like, you know, so it was like all these things started hitting me, but the biggest thing hit me and it was this, and I know this is going to hit a special, not a special, but a hard spot for you as well with your own experience. But uh, I didn't realize how suicidal I was if that makes any sense. When you're drinking to oblivion, when you're blacking out and you're doing enough drugs to kill a baby elephant, you're not normal. There is something wrong with you. And the more you ignore it, the worse it gets. And that's, if you don't want to call it suicidal, but you got a death wish. And I had that fucking death wish, Lance. And I finally sat back and I was like, what is wrong with me? Why do I want to... I'm a guy that walks around and says that I love life so much. Why do I want to take it away from myself? Something is wrong. I left the nightclub and I started fighting with the managers and stuff. And it got to a dark place for me. And they said, you know what? We're going to let you go, but we're going to lay you off so you can still get your, they wanted me to stay, but I didn't want to stay. I just wanted to get let go so I can get my money. Uh, so I can get the, what's it called? Uh, severance. Yeah. And they didn't want me talking about what happened in the like of Lee either. Right. Oh, I don't even care anymore. But Lance, so why uh, I'm so drawn to this is because it's a mental health issue, whether you want to you know, accept it or not. And I want to help people around the world, man, because I was so lost in it and you were too. And now you found your way and I'm so proud of you, man. And you're doing great things with your experiences and all the lessons that you have learned, you're sharing with the world to make it better, right? I want to make myself better and myself right. Because at the end of the day, I think this is something that I'll be battling for the rest of my life. But it's okay. You just got to learn to accept it and know that you're not alone out there. And that if you're drinking to oblivion every night, and another thing is you got to find new friends. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Every week I'd come back to work. Once Thursday hit, I was starting to sober up. And then I'd be working again Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I'd ruin my life again. But what happened was every time I'd go back to work, everyone would around me would be laughing. They'd be like, oh man, you were hilarious, bro. Do you remember last weekend? So they made it feel like it was okay. That is not okay. It is not okay to black out all the time, to send inappropriate messages, to do inappropriate things. It is not okay to do enough drugs to want to truly harm yourself. This is not okay. It means that there is something absolutely wrong with you and you need to fix it. And there's something wrong with all of us. That's the beautiful thing about humanity. We're all so flawed and that's okay. But you got to accept your flaws and you got to work towards fixing them because at the end of the day, it's going to, like I remember Robin Williams saying, I can walk into a place and make 3,000 people laugh, but why am I the only one to leave sad? Like, come on. So Robin Williams was able to, he made the world a better place. He couldn't fix himself, right? So that's very dear to my heart, Lance. That's why when I see people, like, even if I'm, if I'm getting a coffee, if I'm walking down the street, you'll never know I'm depressed because I'm always walking with my head held high. I believe in physicality. I believe in, if you want to feel happier, stand happier. I feel that if you want to be stronger, stand stronger. You understand? So I believe that your body and your movement will correlate with how you feel. It will be the, the driving force to how you feel. If you walk around slumped and how many people, I know how many people I see on the street that I just want to lift their chins up and be like, keep your chin up. Like, come on, man. Yeah. How do you expect to feel good if you're walking around? Like you're like the fucking world is going to end and you're, and you're, you're, you're slumped over. It's so true, bro. Those are such valuable lessons because that's all it takes is like to change your state a bit. Lift your head up, lift your chest up. That's it. Good and fuck, you got to listen it. to a good song or something. Just that's snap it. out of it. Get in that. That's state. it. You know what you got to remember is that 
we come into this earth alone and we're going to die alone. So whether you have people around you or not, does not matter. Wherever you're going next, you're going alone. So if you're not going to make this place as enjoyable as it can for yourself, then you're missing the point. And we're all born with this one thing, this disease, and this disease is called life. And one day this disease is going to take you out. You don't know when, you don't know how. But all I know is that when I die, the day I die, I want to know that I've told the world I love the world. I want to tell the people closest to me that I love them. I want to do what I can to fuck up as much as I can and make as many mistakes as I can and fail as much as I can because I know that's the route that I need to go to my success. And I know that I will be able to help so many people around the world in doing so and trying to help them and guide them in a better way. And at the end of the day, listen to what I'm saying, but go fuck up. Like you need to live your life too. And you need to make mistakes. Like you can only take so much from what people say, but Lance, like I, it's, it's just so important. It's so important to truly physicalize what you want to feel and your body, your mind will follow. I promise you. Like it's so weird how your body works, but that's why acting is so great. Cause it taught me so many things about physicality and, and holding myself. Like when you see somebody walking across from the street and you know, they're dangerous, there's, Two reasons, I believe, why you know they're dangerous. One is their energy, and I'm all about energy. But one is their energy, but two is the way they carry themselves. You just know there's something about them that's not right. So people would not know that I was miserable, that I was unbelievably depressed, that I hated my life at one point. And nobody knew this because I was walking with my head held high. I was always smiling, you know, because I was grateful, and I didn't even know it. I was grateful, even though I was so grateful to be alive, to wake up every day, to be able to talk to you, to be able to, um, to, you know, do all this stuff. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, bro. Like you've, you've always, I've always said that you have this ability to make people's days, man. And our friends, Arsha, lots of like all of our boys, man. Like we know, everybody knows you have this gift in you that you are able to literally shift somebody just by being you and your energy is so infectious. And it's truly, it's truly amazing. Certain people have that gift, bro. Like I said, the rock has it. Yeah. You know, Tony definitely. Robbins has it. There's some people that their energy can completely change a room. And I've always believed that about you. And I believe that your only downfall, I think, was what you've realized. The only yeah. thing is your yeah. own, your, yeah. you, the only thing is, and that's what happens with a lot of us is our, our worst critic, our downfall is ourselves. And if we are yeah. aware of what our kryptonite is and what hurts us, and yeah. we fucking get rid of that. Man, we're yeah. unstoppable. And I truly believe that with you, bro. Like, I feel like your Thank energy you. is just so powerful that, like, look, I mean, people listening to this have gone on probably an emotional roller coaster. They're like, holy shit. Like, this is one of the yeah. best recordings I've had, man. This has been like. Oh, thank you so much, man. This oh, I'm, so like, I'm so grateful to be part of it. Bro, this is, this is amazing. And I want to make sure, like, everybody can find you. Where's the best place for people to find you, bro? Because. Well, my, my, my Instagram is at Jean Paul Najem, J E A N P A U L A J M. I post videos every day and I do my best to post like uh, whatever I'm feeling at that day and whatever, if something hits me to help you overcome something, whatever helped me, whatever I overcame that day. Cause mind you, I have a challenge every day still, but once I overcome it, I record what I did to overcome that. And I'll yeah. put it out there. Yeah. That's so powerful because so many people are scared to do that. And even me, like, yeah. even, like I, it's some days I'm like, man, I don't feel like doing that. Or I don't feel like doing a story, but you're yeah. like, when you're, you gotta, you gotta think about the people that need what you got, you know, somebody needs That's that. It. 
That, yo, and I appreciate that. And that's what I want to give to the world. Yeah. And what I learned was the drinking and the partying was extinguishing my light. And now, now that I feel like I'm starting to fire off now, it's been two months, Lance, almost three. I'm almost getting there. Yeah. But I, um, and by the way, I don't, I, I post when I'm having a little bit of a rough day too. And what I, what I do to get over that too, because this whole highlight real stuff on Instagram, nobody, yeah. listen, the only people that are happy seven days a week are fit yeah. for a straight jacket. For it's sure. impossible to be happy all the time unless you're absolutely mad. Yeah. So I got my down days, you know, and like everybody else, but I'll still post something to be like, but I still find something that I'm grateful for every day. And that's the important thing. That's what gets you by. Don't be hard on yourself. Sit in the sadness. That's okay. You'll have to be sad sometimes, but also be grateful for whatever it is at that moment that you have that you're looking at, whether it may be a roof over your head or something to eat or a brother that loves you or a sister that loves you or a mother that loves you or you know what I mean? Or like you, Lance, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for you, right? And you have a purpose and that's so important. Yeah. Oh man, I'm grateful for you as well. But you know what I'm talking, you know, so there's just, this the thing is like, you know, my Instagram, my thing is mostly positive, right? But people probably think, what the fuck is he doing? Like, why is he doing that? And I'll tell you why I do it the way I do it is because there is so much negative shit in this world. And I've dealt with yeah. a lot of shit in my life. You know yeah. what? I feel social media you can have such power by connecting with people and inspiring them. I don't fucking want to put shit that isn't going to lift somebody up. It may be a quote. It may be cheesy to others. I don't give a shit. It's not about me. It's about them. And on my stories, I try and share. I try not to be vain about it. I just want to show my life and the true me. And I don't ever want to make anybody feel bad. And that's the thing. A lot of times on Instagram and this social media, it's the comparison game. People are like, oh, this guy, I'm comparing myself to her or him. He must be super successful because he's posting it. And that's not what it should be used for. It shouldn't be out of vanity. It should be like, man, what am I using this for? I'm using this to connect with human beings and lift them up. I'm not using this like, yeah, man, look at, look at how much shit I've got. Look at, all the, look at all the cars and the watches and the planes. All that stuff is great. I think being able to buy stuff is amazing, but I don't, it, for me, seeing that stuff doesn't light me up. What lights me up is when I'm having a shitty day and I see something inspiring like you or like yeah. a quote or something, just enough to be like, fuck, you know, things are okay today. You know? I love it. That's and what that, you need. That's, that's what it's about, need. right? And, and that's what social media is powerful. And I don't know, like, you know, it's tough some days because, you know, you're fighting with the old persona of you who you used to be. I'm speaking for myself. The guy used to be negative, complaining about everything and, you know, doubting myself. And then I'm, and then the new me that I've tried to create is like clashing some days. And I'm sure you can say the same, right? Like, of course, of course. Listen, one thing, one thing, one thing I got to say, because I know you both then and now and your transition, your transformation is incredible. And I love who you, I've always loved who you were. I still love who you are and I'll forever love who you are. It's just, you have this bright light inside of you too. And now, you're using it for, for benefit. You're using it to benefit others. And it makes you feel good knowing that you're making people feel good because you are. I follow you and I read your stuff and I love it. So it makes me feel good too. So know that. And social media now, it's gotten to the point where it's look what I have, look what I have, look what I have. And that's why the world's getting more and more distant. In a world where I can see, we could all see each other and we feel like we're, 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 we're more connected, we couldn't be further away. And the reason why that is is because we're putting value on the cheapest things in the world. You can't put, like, people think that I drive this Ferrari. That's valuable. I drive this. I do this. I have this clothes. I have that clothes. Don't get me wrong, man. I would love to have a Ferrari yeah. one day. And I'm not hating nobody for that. Yeah, me right? yeah. But I'm not mistaken that the most valuable things in life are the things you get for free. Your spirit, 
this air you breathe, right? You can't survive without it. The connections you make, your heart, the love, the love, the love that you can share with the world, that's free. That's got value. Yeah, the things in the world are the things that you put the price on and you pretend to be, you know, and this world is coming to a competition in that sense. And it's very strange. It's very sad, man. And yeah. that's why, okay, the world needs help right now. Yeah. If people in the world need help right now and what you're doing is helping people. So keep doing it, man. No, because I eventually, it. yeah, eventually, you know, if people just don't like change. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. They want to hold you. They know you as one way and they, they, it, it's almost weird because it's threatening it's like, it's changing who you are. And it's like, That's it. it's like with you, That's bro. It. It's like, I'm sure you must, you must go with it. We have, we're so similar in this regard, man. I mean, probably cause we're born within two days of each other. Yeah. But like, you know, people, there's, there's a chunk of people that know the JP partying guy. So, oh, yeah. you know, they know you as that. So it's like, oh, okay, well I got to be that guy. And it's like, fuck, sometimes you don't want to be that guy. Sometimes you just want to, you know what I mean? And it's like, so, so the way to do that is to get yourself out of yeah, that exactly. environment because That's the you're thing. a product of your environment. That's right? the thing is like, I've been so many things too. I was the hockey player. Then I was the fucking guy who didn't make it. And then was partying and drinking and then the bartending. And then the guy that's just all these different things. And it depends on yeah. who you talk to, who sometimes you yeah. have to be like yeah. reference to. And I, I, I got tired of that shit. I want to get off, take the mask off and be like, this is the real me, man. This is yeah. me. There's not this other fucking bullshit that over the years, like I was learning about, you know, and if you don't like it, then I don't kick rocks. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah, like, well, because this is more of the real you, because this is yeah. you that's actually facing the world. Yeah. Head on. That's not yeah. facing it under the influence of booze. Cause that's all a mask. You're not facing it under drugs. Cause that's another mask. So the people that drink and party are people that have a hard time adapting to real life and being just not under the influence, just being the under influence of life. And yeah. I thrive in this environment. Yeah. When I do Coke, I'm the exact opposite. I'm quiet. I settle down. I'm in my own shell. People don't know that. People assume that I'm always doing rails. That's not the case. This is me sober. When I do that shit, it brings out a different side of me. It's not that I get drunk. I become a different person. I change. It's just weird, man. And I don't like it. Yeah. But I get you, Lance. And the thing that I had to do was when I would go out and meet with these guys once in a while, I'd go to a bar. I, don't, I can't even go to a bar anymore. Only because, listen, you've learned how to manage it now, which is amazing. I'm like an all or nothing kind of guy. And yeah. it's very tough. And I know, I know you understand that. So I'm trying to learn why it is in my mind that always makes me want to just get absolutely annihilated instead of just enjoying a glass of wine in dinner or something. But until then, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and stay on the sober train. But I wrote this movie right now about people and about how one decision, it's about multi-universes and how there's a million, like uh, infinite versions of you out in this world that are living so many different ways. And most of that is all living and being through a way that we do what others want, whether we know it or not. We act a certain way because we want to impress certain people or we do certain things because, and, and we couldn't be so far off than, of who we really are. So we're making a big mistake when we try to pretend to be something else. And if you don't know who you are, that's fine. The beautiful thing is that you can be whatever you want, but don't be something to impress somebody else. You got to be something to impress and do, and do for yourself, right? Yeah. This is the closest thing you are to you. You're no longer this guy going out partying, you know, the life of the party. And now maybe when you stop doing that, you kind of felt bad. 
oh no, now you know what I mean? I can't go out and hang out with these people, but these are not your friends. How many people do you still talk to out of those people I used to go out and drink and party with? Not many. And I was actually, it's, it's funny because I was, I was talking to Arsha the other day. Um, yeah. we were, you know, obviously we're oh, yeah. still super tight, but like I was realizing like, what was the reason is because I didn't have any confidence to talk and have fun without booze. Like it was weird. Like <laughs> get anxiety, like just walking in Yale town in Vancouver, like seeing people and not being confident in myself. It was this weird thing. Yeah. So like, I, I feel like once I drank, I was like, Ooh, okay. Now I can just like, I can just, I could just like be somebody else or something. Yeah. You know? It's like, yeah. like, but getting rid of that shit and facing that insecurity and really knowing like, what is that? That's beautiful. Cause now you can going out and being confident with your true self and not because of booze is a whole different thing. Being able well, to dance without booze, being able because to like, it's real because yeah. it's real because you've, you've accepted who you are, Lance, and you've accepted that you are just as messed up as the rest of us. Yeah. But you're such a beautiful being and you've accepted it. And that's, that's what you need. They call it liquid courage, but there's nothing courageous about it. It's an absolute cheat. It's such a fake way to go through life. That's all I'm going to say about, about, about that drinking. Because I used to feel the same way, right? Because I still am shy, believe it or not. I am. But I'm passionate about this, so I love this. But I still am shy. So I remember when I'd see like, you know, a girl at the bar or whatever, it helped that I worked there. But if I had a couple of drinks, it would help me. Loosen me up and liquid courage. But it's not. You're not being real. You're being so fake. Yeah. And you don't know it. But you're being so fake because you're not being true to yourself. Anything that you need, uh, aside from... Oh yeah, here's something I want to say before I forget. I'll get back to that point. Your mind, so you cannot control that thoughts that come through your mind. You can't control them. You really can't. I believe that you can't. I believe it's a very, how can you control 80,000, 50,000 things that are coming through your mind the other day? You cannot do that, right? But what you can do is edit your thoughts. You can edit them and you can filter them and you start making better and better where it comes to a point where you're, where you end up somewhat having, you're aware now of your thoughts. But anyway, yeah. No, yeah, no. Totally, man. And that's just the thing. And you don't, you're not aware of that until you clear out the, that was the thing that I, I've tried to tell people. It's like some people can handle life and drink moderation. And some people, cause people go, well, why can't you go out and drink and just have a beer? And I'm like, man, I tried it. I took two, seven, 2017 off completely sober, yeah, ran a bar, started drinking in 2018. It was a good year. Lots of good things came out of it. But I felt like shit and the same, I look at pictures, I turn, I gained all this weight, felt like shit all the time, all this anxiety. And I'm like, you know what? That's enough. Yes, I had a few more fun moments with like, you know, friends and catching up and the, and the boys at hockey. But now, you know, three months in, no drinking. And it's just so much better. Like it's just, and, and it's because when you have a goal or vision and, you know, you can probably agree with me, there's enough shit, there's enough things coming at you on a daily basis that are distractions that will maybe try and throw you off your path. But never mind if you got, you're just blatantly giving yourself poison and you're constantly just fighting just to feel good. It's, so, it's such a bad idea if you have big plans and goals because you're just shooting yourself literally in the foot because life will throw enough shit at you. Never mind like the, the own self-sabotage. Whatever, I'm not here to judge people who drink. I mean, lots of people drink and have fun, but guys like myself and like you, we obviously have been through that shit and we we're aware of it. So if you're like us and you're listening out there, you need to take some serious inventory of like your life and understand what the fuck, you know? Yeah. And also know that you do it because it's a, uh, it's a mechanism that happens that allows you to feel good about where you are in life. 
And uh, what I mean by that is that if you're an absolute loser, which is what I was, it gave me a reason to accept that I was a loser because, oh, I'm hungover today. I won't apply myself. Oh, I'm hungover today. I won't give myself the best audition. Oh, I'm hungover today. I can't really remember stuff. Like, stop being a loser. Believe in yourself. That's what it is at the end of the day, too. Just believe in yourself and know that you deserve a great life. And if you're yeah. blacking out, and if you are listening to this all the time and drinking and you're blacking out, that's a problem. And know that there's people out there that say, oh, you can't have one drink. Stay away from those people because they're trying to make you feel bad, right? Yeah. Just because they can control it, it doesn't mean you can. And that's the beautiful thing about humans is we're all different. But because they're different, get away from them. Stay around like-minded people, right? right? Stay around the people that say, no, man, you don't need to drink, Lance. Yeah. You're already beautiful on your own. Get out there. Get that energy out there and find the courage inside of you to go up and approach things and do things and fear and talk to things from your own soul because it is powerful enough to do it on its own. You don't need this bullshit, this liquid bullshit, I call it. It's not liquid courage, it's liquid bullshit. And if you can't have one drink, so be it. Then you don't need it. It's like, I don't need a drink in life. Like, look, this, I haven't eaten yet today, by the way. This is me on an empty stomach. And I went and had a crazy workout today. Like, come on. Right? Fasting. You're getting jacked. You're getting leaned out with the intermittent. And you're jacked. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> but yeah, it, and reading. I, I don't know. I read every day now. And reading is, is just changing. It's so important. <laughs> As an actor, you read. Like I read, you know, and I get, I get a few auditions here, a few auditions there, and I'll, I'll read signs and read license plates. Like there's a certain amount of reading. You need to do a little more reading than that. And I started reading. I said I was going to read a book a week. I'm at nine books, Lance. It's been two months. But mind you, I'm unemployed. I'm a full-time actor, which basically means I'm unemployed. And I'm not working at the bar or anything anymore, right? So I'm literally riding on fumes here, by the way. So y'all might think I'm talking like I'm this big success. And I feel in a lot of ways I am. But I'm still like... I booked my first role, though, last week, two weeks ago. That's going to be enough money to get me by for another couple of months. And then here we go. It's just like, take a chance in life. Live, live, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, bro. I, um, oh, man. It's been so good chatting, man. Like, yeah, dude, just, you know, I feel, I'm feeling, you know, lit up just from, just from this. And I'm just so much value. You bring so much value in the stories. Yeah, they're real. Yeah, they're probably, you know, more detailed than some people were expecting. <laughs> but yeah, you know what, sure. man? That's why I'm so glad that you, that's what I want the show to be is I want this to be raw. I want people to yeah, go, oh, fuck, yeah, what, that's the way what it just be. happened? And to show that this is life, man. University of adversity yeah. is life and you need yeah. to learn from that. And adversity yeah. is a gift. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. And I think what you're doing is very beautiful. Lance. It's a beautiful thing. And I'm so proud of you, man. And keep it going, brother. This is great. And I'm honored to be on this today, man, to see this beautiful face of yours and talk to you, man. It's, I'm so grateful. Yeah. I am. And to see where you, to see where you are now, you know? Yeah, man. Absolutely. You too, bro. I look forward to, um, for all you guys listening, JP's going to be having his own podcast. We don't know all the details yet, but. Um, no, but I need your help with this, Lance. I want to actually do it with you, man. I really yeah. do. I don't know how to add how, but like, I'll, I want to so do. so funny. I was thinking that the other day. I'm like, man, me and JP would have a wicked show together. I would love to, bro. Imagine that, just like interviewing people and just like talking about current events and stuff, like just like, you know. Yeah, but making it real, making it raw. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. like that's like the real and raw as possible. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah. There's just the world's our oyster, man. And I'm just so glad we got to connect. I, um, I got one more question for you. I ask everybody. Um, I know you gave, you gave so many good golden nuggets there. You know, mm -hmm. what's the one thing, though, the first thing that comes to your mind that a tip that you could use that other people could use to overcome adversity, man. What's find your purpose. Find, find your, your purpose. purpose. 
find your purpose, find your purpose, find your purpose. I mean, I already touched on being grateful. And to be honest, there's a lot of different things, but purpose, going through life without purpose is basically driving aimlessly and not knowing where you're headed. You need purpose. So if you don't know what that is, I think a good way to find your purpose is to be alone a little bit. I mean, there's so much beauty and growth in being alone, undisturbed, right? Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you got some value from that. Without you guys, this is impossible. So I really, really appreciate it. If you enjoyed the episode and got value from it, go ahead and rate it, review it, hit that subscribe button. We want to get this to as many people as possible. We want this thing to grow. So go ahead, rate, review, subscribe. And I can't wait for the next episode. Thank you so much. You just finished another class at the University of Adversity. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in again next time for more life lessons with Lance ECOs.